Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our read-through of The Hunger Games, and this episode is covering chapters 7 and 8 of the first book. Chris, why don't you give us a quick little recap? Sure, so a lot does happen in these chapters. Katniss goes to breakfast with Hamish and Peeta, where they discuss and argue about their skills and survivability for the games. And Peeta and Katniss show how much they've noticed each other over the years. <laughs> Katniss chafes at the instructions to train together with Peeta in matching clothes and maintain an aura of friendliness. Love that moment from Katniss where she's like, ugh, why are we dressed in the same clothes? Exactly. I would feel the same Katniss. <laughs> Chris slash Peta over here wouldn't mind. No, that's cute. <laughs> During their training, they get new skills. Peta reveals his artistic side. They see they're being shadowed by Rue from District 11. Then they have their own private sessions where Katniss becomes so infuriated at the game maker's inattention to her that she shoots an arrow through an apple in a pig's mouth by the game makers themselves. <laughs> she does do that. Afterwards, she's very distraught and worried about what the ramifications will be, but ultimately her team cheers her up after confirming that her family will be safe and won't be affected by it. Ultimately, Peta gets an 8 for his session, and Katniss gets the highest score on 11. The end of the chapter, she wakes up, goes to breakfast, and finds out that Peta has asked to be coached separately from now on. <gasps> dun dun dun! Betrayal. Betrayal. <laughs> That's the line, first line of the next chapter. Yeah, but we're not getting there yet. No, we're yeah, not. But it needed to here. be said. But betrayal. Betrayal. <laughs> so why don't we start with our striking moments? What struck you as you were reading these chapters? So something that was really striking to me that I don't remember thinking about is when Katniss mentions that Peta had won, well, no, he gotten second place in his school wrestling competition after his brother. And yeah, that was just interesting to me to think about that their schools even bother to have competitions and things mm. like that, considering that their education is so centered around coal knowledge so that they can be producing coal as their life's purpose in District 12. And so, yeah, I was just kind of just wondering about their rationale in, in holding things like this. And, you know, is it that they want people to keep up some amount of physical fitness? Is it a kind of sneaky way to help them train for the game, supposedly? Or helping people be a little fitter before going into the mines but I wouldn't think it'd be that because I would assume that mostly it's the people from the merchant class that would win because they're the ones who have food on the table more often uh, versus people in the seam who are so malnourished so yeah I don't know it was just bringing up questions in my mind yeah that's fascinating I mean this is kind of going into touch points uh but mm. It makes me think about how there are different levels of decision-making in what kinds of things are taught and what kind of opportunities there are in schools. Because when they defund the arts? There's certainly that. And so, yeah, what funding is coming from the capital and what their intentions are and what their focuses are are going to be very, very important. But at the same time, the people who are 
teaching these schools in District 12 are probably going to be locals. And Mm -hmm. as an educator myself, I imagine that they are trying to also do what's best for their students. So I can imagine that some of those teachers want to provide access to you know, sports or extracurriculars or things that may not be covered by the capital's curriculum and their funding, but are still giving new opportunities for students to to find things that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so it might just be, yeah, this is a different level outside of that coal mining focused education that they're getting of much more of a kind of bottom up community based kind of event. That's really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And it doubly struck me because I completely forgot that this was a thing in, in PETA's past. Not that it's an important thing, but mm-hmm. that it's just a fact about PETA. And I think part of that is the juxtaposition of how PETA is portrayed in the movies versus the books, where we have PETA in the trainings, the, the public training sessions. Katniss and Peter are going along learning other skills that they don't already know how to do. And purposefully, according to Hamish's instructions, not showing any of the other tributes what they actually are strongest in. But in the movies, that's not how it transpired. Mm -hmm. It was the careers were, you know, being annoying as the careers do. Then Katniss is like you better go show them your strength or I don't remember wh- what the phrase she used was, but it, w- it was something they look like they're gonna not jump you, but whatever it would be. So then he does that, even though that was against what Amich told mm. them to do. And so I think it's like in the movie, you have that kind of toxic masculinity coming out. It's like, oh, I have to show my strength, yeah. you know? show that I'm not intimidated by these other strong boys, you know? Versus in the books, you have this boy who's self-deprecating about his own skills and just follows Hamish's strategic instructions. And I think because the books downplay those aspects of PETA, the wrestling champion, it's just a passing thing. It's not made into a big deal like it is in the movies and so that just struck me how yeah the books are written differently and aren't playing into those same problematic things that the movies were yeah which i think it helps when you have a woman who's writing these books versus men who are directing and screenwriting the movies so yeah Well, this has been one of our new segments, Bad Adaptation or Radaptation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, That was a bad adaptation. That was, yeah. Totally. But what was something that was striking to you? One moment that struck me was when Katniss, even though she has been frustrated with PETA and thinking about how she doesn't want to become friends with PETA because they are going to have to murder each other in the games... She does have one moment where she says that of the other tributes, she would want PETA to win mm-hmm. because it's best for District 12 and it's best for her family, mm-hmm. which is just such a Katniss line. That she adds after the period of the other sentence. Exactly. <laughs> that, you know, I would want PETA win to win of anyone, you know, for the district and for my family <laughs> because... 
for one, it is this, yeah, very kind of logical way of thinking about things and, and focused on her family, which is, of course, so important to her. But I think it's also illustrating one of the times when Katniss, her inner monologue is itself incomplete or, <laughs> uh, or, or she's kind of... She reveals part of herself from herself. Exactly, yeah. Where I think by this time, though she's obviously struggling with these issues, she does have an affection for Peta, and she's trying to fight against that affection. So here, while, yeah, she can say she would prefer Peta to win, she has to kind of catch herself and give herself her own justification that denies that affection, which is just such a Katniss thing to do. Totally, yeah. Another small one I had, though, was when they're doing camouflage and Peta's sharing how he gets to ice the cakes and decorate the cakes in his family's bakery. And I remember this fact about Peta. <laughs> yes. But uh, I didn't remember how she makes a comment about how he can't ice people to death. And <laughs> he tries to make a joke where he's like, who knows, maybe the arena will be a giant cake. And then she's just like, let's go, let's move on. And yeah, it's just like Peta's still actually trying to make jokes with Katniss and she's just having none of it Mm -hmm. um and yeah I I totally forgot about that and and it kind of it actually made me chuckle during this read through because it's you know a fun joke that they're having and then Katniss immediately just can't can't engage with it Mm -hmm. yeah 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 another one I noticed was how she had not slept well at the beginning of chapter seven Mm. because she had had nightmares with gory images from earlier games as well as about the Avox girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just something that thinking about Katniss and probably everyone in the districts growing up with nightmares about this because yeah. as kids, if we see something that is scary in a movie or whatever, that could give us nightmares. But theirs, I could imagine, would be so much more intense because they know it's real. These are things that are really happening, and they know that it could really happen to them. Hmm. So, yeah, I was just thinking about, like, that level of trauma that basically everybody grows up with. Yeah. Yeah, they probably don't have shared nightmares of showing up to school and forgetting you had a test or something, the (laughs) kinds of things that, you know, are pretty common in our society. They have shared trauma around the Hunger Games that is going to impact that instead. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Definitely. Which is how, how the book opened as well. Mm. Prim wasn't in bed with her. She had crawled into bed with her mom. Um, and she was thinking, oh, she probably had nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to not focus on those kinds of things when I'm reading a lot of the times. Mm. Um, maybe I should pay more attention to them because they're obviously there for a reason. Hmm. Well, why don't you move into our next segment we call From Another Point of View, where we try to think about scenes from perspectives other than Katniss's. So I was thinking about the training sessions through the perspective of Rue Mm. and just watching Katniss and Peeta talking and laughing and being friends or at least, you know, seeming like friends. I don't know, just, just her being drawn to that in a certain way because... You have the careers, which obviously she's not going to go hang out with. And everyone else was just really 
solemn and quiet and I'm sure depressed because they think that they're going to die in the next few days and so yeah I could imagine just kind of being drawn to the positivity that was coming off of Katniss and Peeta. That's the sort of energy you kind of want to be around if you only have a few days left to live, you know? I was also thinking about, I wonder if her deciding to follow them around and maybe hope that if she can make a connection with them, they would help her in the games. It would be potentially a strategic thing as well, Mm. because she would have seen on TV Katniss volunteer for Prim. So maybe she was thinking that if anybody would help her in the games, Katniss would be her best bet. Hmm, interesting. I was thinking about that too, yeah, why she chose to shadow them. For me, it it definitely, I think, was affected by their friendliness with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, I could really imagine that being the case. But I also, I don't know if I saw it as Rue wanting an alliance with them as much as maybe even wanting to learn from them where they seemed confident they seemed capable at different things they they were not just yeah swinging around weapons which she (laughs) wouldn't be able to do no matter what but instead looking at survival skills and these other kinds of elements and and if she kind of saw them as like oh they're really thinking about this intelligently and they're really building up skills that will be helpful to me and that will help me survive specifically because yeah in particular Katniss is in kind of the same boat still nowhere near as small as Rue but not going to win through any kind of physical confrontation definitely but why couldn't she have that strategic other? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I was just mm. saying I was looking at it from a different perspective. Totally. I was looking at her perspective, which is a different perspective than Katniss, mm. from a different perspective than your perspective. <laughs> from all sorts of other points of view. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, the, the slithering comes out sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> I wonder, you know, if she's being strategic at all. Absolutely. But what about you? What's another point of view that you were looking through? One that came up for me was what it was like for the Avoxes. Mm. Um, and, and two different moments, actually. <laughs> One of them I was me. totally thinking of, too. This would be the best, <laughs> but continue. Yeah, because first we see Katniss come to breakfast early, and she asks the Avox there if she can serve herself. I was wondering how that Avox might respond. Would he see that as kind of like a, a, a human moment or a touching moment where she's treating him in a human way by asking him a question that the idea that he could give permission to her mm. is a different thing? Or would he be frightened that she is breaking the protocol, that she's doing something that's taboo that could get him in trouble because they're communicating in a way that's not her giving him an order or what have you. So, yeah, that was kind of the first one that came to mind. And then with that We're in just mind, annoyed again that, like, yep, all they care about is eating mm, this food. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although, I, I'm sure Avoxes have, would have much more sympathy for tributes from non-career districts. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, having that already in mind... Then when we see Avox again after Katniss shoots the arrow at the game maker's booth, she talks about how she leaves, she dismisses herself, she goes onto the elevator past the gaping Avoxes there. And imagine being those Avoxes. Imagine being those people who, after being mutilated, 
they are forced to be servants for this awful, awful event and see tribute after tribute come in and try to impress these game makers and just knowing how awful all of these things are and then seeing someone <laughs> shoot at them. <laughs> People jump back, stumble. <laughs> Which is, yeah, so good. So yeah, it's it's just a, a fun moment to think about what the reaction would be, not only of the game makers who are clearly affected by the audacity of this, but of the AVOXs who are there too. Absolutely. I mean, it's got to be one of the best moments in their life. <laughs> And, like, I can just imagine if they're able to interact with other AVOXs and having created sign language or writing things down, like, just spreading that story around to all of the other AVOXs, just being so enjoyable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Another scene I thought was interesting was we see Hamish call Katniss sweetheart for the first time. Mm-hmm. And based off of one of our past episodes, that that actually kind of hit me and made me start thinking about it and this was after Katniss had basically locked herself away had been crying all day after her shot at the game makers and I wondered if Hamish was calling her that as a way to try to get her fired up again to mm. make it so that she's not just distraught but answers in yeah more of an anger or passion which is exactly what she does she says you know, him calling me sweetheart makes me more defiant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, oh, does Hamish actually recognize this about her and knows how he can kind of push her into a place where for him it's probably like she's more effective or capable and or less hopeless? Or is it just that Hamish has a misogynistic streak? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I could literally see both of those. And it's interesting him as a character because you could see so much strategy in many of the decisions that he makes even these small ones or the ones that we're talking about when he was drunk during the reaping but we don't know how much of that strategy how much of that is just his personality and mm-hmm. am i trying to find reasons to explain away some of the more problematic <laughs> behavior that he's doing uh, totally. yeah it's just something that that for sure was a compelling view of that scene that never really affected me that way before Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be an illogical follow-through from when we first are introduced to Haymitch, and he's drunk, and he tries to hug Effie, Mm -hmm. who doesn't want him to touch her. So, yeah, that misogyny could obviously be there. But then, yeah, on the other hand, he is very savvy, and I could see that being like, of all names you could call someone, (laughs) like, sweetheart is like the least Katniss thing ever so yeah. yeah it could be this kind of jolt into like who you are fight against this because you know this isn't you and yeah just getting mad which she does she does which she should yeah. <laughs> so yeah very interesting another thing I was kind of wondering from Hamish's point of view just quickly is what he was thinking when Katniss and Peta are just, like, arguing about each other's skills at breakfast. He must have just thought that these are such weird kids. <laughs> like, they have the best chance in a long time than other tributes in the past, but just, like, what is going on with them? Like, are they friends? Are they not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that he does 
figure some things out about their characters. Pick up on some dynamics. Totally, going on. that maybe even they are not aware of. Uh, but like, I, I, I can I was imagine him just like eating and like smirking. <laughs> <laughs> There's even like a minute of silence where the two of them are both sulking after yeah. this argument. And he's like, "Okay, <laughs> I guess we're gonna keep going with our strategy session." I just learned more about both of you from each other than either of you has told me this entire time. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Yeah, that, that scene was, was really interesting because we see three such different perspectives. You know, we, we don't know what Pete is thinking, but when he says that he wants her not to underrate herself, that it, it's doing herself a disservice, you know, I think he's trying to be helpful for her. Totally. Hamish is watching this and eating popcorn or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then Katniss is just looking for ways that Pete is insulting her by being <laughs> nice to her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a really fascinating scene. Yeah. <laughs> but why don't we head into our touch points? Uh, this is a section where we relate what we're reading to things that we see in our society. So what I was really thinking about is food and how most of the posh food they're eating in the capital is very white. Mm. And I was just, yeah, kind of wondering about if that was intentional because in our society, there are certain foods that are elevated and charged more for, even if they're not using more ingredients or, you know, it's not harder to procure those ingredients or whatever it would be. You go to a French food restaurant, sure, if you're having some obscure meats or something, it could be more expensive, but a lot of the time it's just like, let's douse this in butter and cream, (laughs) you know, which those things are not super expensive compared to other types of cuisine. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I was just wondering about that. I mean, the only meal that's mentioned that to me spoke of something different was the lamb stew with dried plums and wild rice and to me that was kind of speaking a little more middle eastern mm-hmm. cuisine you know and it's it's in one of the times that they mention rice which is not quite as commonly talked about when it comes to their food but you know there's also lamb stews and stuff in Ireland and stuff. It's not exclusive to the Middle East, but that's kind of where my mind goes. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of wondering if Collins was trying to particularly put in a hierarchy when it comes to food, trying to subtly drive home a point about food consumption and countries where it's predominantly white people you know european countries the united states and and canada so yeah i was just wondering about that because it's a lot of the time white based cuisines as well as japanese i think in in the united states is also elevated to that more expensive luxury so i'm like why why didn't we see japanese cuisine as as a part of any of their posh meals so yeah i was just kind of wondering if if it was intentional to try to be talking about consumption and the areas of the world that are doing that more um, exploitatively. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating and does tie into some very important and interesting histories. You know, you mentioned Japanese food is elevated in the United States. Chinese food, on the other hand, is often seen more of like a street food or a a cheaper option. Takeaway. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
you know, those aren't things that are intrinsic to those foods. Of course not. Those are cultural mm-hmm. ideas that are put on them. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating. I had another point that also dealt with food, which was PETA noticing the different breads from the different districts, mm. which is, for one, just... I love that. Yeah, a great moment for PETA, but also, I think, illustrates how food can be such an important element of showing messages and ideals of a society. Mm. You know, PETA mentions how different types of breads might have different ingredients that are tied to resources or environment exactly but you know foods show how yeah your environment your culture these are things that impact people's everyday lives in ways that are often very subtle they're not always thought about explicitly as big impacts but they are going to affect even yeah even if you're still eating bread how that bread is made what ingredients are going into it how it's flavored then what cultural perceptions are put on it once you get into a wider lens and you Mm -hmm. see different cultures interacting yeah totally and also on food again i remember when she was going back to thinking about when she had met gail and them hunting in the woods collecting nuts and seeds and things like that and the first squirrel that she ever shot going to find acorns. And um, that was kind of reminding me of you telling me about indigenous diets in our our area of California and how acorns were such a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. The acorn mush or acorn meal that was made was one of the most important caloric elements of those diets for, for a very long time. And there are still indigenous people who continue to attempt to utilize those cultivating methods and recipes but because the environment has changed to such an extent (laughs) because we've killed so many trees exactly there just aren't enough acorns out there that make it easy plus cultivating rights are (laughs) legally tied up in all these ways of who has the ability to go out and that's my property yeah it's awful in many many ways but Mm -hmm. yeah a very good point but yes, now I'm starting to get hungry. Uh, so, <laughs> so do you have any, or what are some other touch points you were thinking of? Yeah, what, one that came to mind for me was when Hamish is talking about how Katniss's family is not going to be punished for her disrespect of the game makers Mm. because to do so and get what he calls a worthwhile effect on the population would require them to let people know what happened which then would show some vulnerability and things like that you know that i think is just its own powerful statement there's a lot that you could dig into there but it reminded me of this idea that one of the most important intentions behind punishment is Mm. as a means of social control yeah deterrence exactly and deterrence you know, can mean different things. And and while certainly there's an element of we want to deter people from hurting one another and things like that, there's also, okay, what are we deterring in particular low-income populations from doing Mm -hmm. uh, or from acting? In what ways do we want them not to act in? uh, Where policing the criminal justice system then becomes very much not just about justice, but about these wider ideas of social control. Mm-hmm. And at times can be used for sending messages, uh, particularly when it's something that is very high profile. Uh, when a police officer who uses lethal force against a young black person 
gets off and isn't even prosecuted, what messages is that sending to society? And so, yeah, the use of punishment or refusal to use punishment, I think, can send a lot of messages about social control, particularly in a more autocratic system like we have in Pan Am. But when I was thinking about that, it reminded me of kind of what we were talking about in regard to privacy in our last episode. Mm. And it reminded me of a really important theoretical work uh, in the study of policing, criminal justice or injustice and things like that uh, by Michel Foucault uh, called the Panopticon. And the Panopticon is essentially Foucault arguing that starting with prison systems, but then expanding out to all areas of modern society, imprisonment has gone hand in hand with with surveillance. Mm. To the extent that now society looks like a panopticon, where there's one pillar in the middle that can see everything around it. And there's the, this... The Eye of Sauron? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but imagine surrounding the Eye of Sauron is a prison system, like a circular prison system around it, and the Eye of Sauron can see everything that's happening there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this started in things like punishments for crimes, jail systems, etc., but it has now extended into all areas of society where this panopticon idea, this surveillance, is used to ensure that people do not deviate from expectations. And so that can be uh, the state interfering when, yeah, a child doesn't go to school, like we learned about in the first couple chapters, or when someone has a mental illness that affects their ability to be quote-unquote productive or you know mm-hmm. these other kinds of things that it's all about yeah whether they are meeting those capitalistic goals exactly yeah and as technology has improved and as culture has been more and more comfortable with imprisonment mm-hmm. and those kinds of punishments the panopticon has become more and more powerful and so yeah i guess this week thinking about First, this idea of punishment as social control, but also these ideas of surveillance that we even see Effie at one Mm -hmm. point look around and be like, that's just what I think, you know, trying to kind of defend herself when she speaks badly about the game makers. You know, Pan Am certainly has a a really good example of how dystopian the Panopticon can become and can touch on to how dystopian it is in our society already. Totally. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised because with reading the prequel, Songbirds and Snakes, Collins does have a little bit more like philosophical influences that are coming in. So we know that she knows about different philosophers and schools of thought and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was putting these ideas in here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Foucault is such a important figure in so many of those modern philosoph- philosophical works and theories and things like that Mm, fascinating i think so and terrible yeah (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the hunger games (laughs) let's move into our wonderment these are things that are on our mind things that we're wondering about thinking about as we go through the book so what are your wonderments this week so i think mine is about the game maker's role and their jobs in in a way because at the public training session they were observing and some of them were like jotting down notes and then obviously by the time we get to the private session and Katniss is in there a lot of them aren't paying attention there's a few that still are but yeah I was just kind of thinking about 
how they come up with their plans for the games and like how much is done before the tributes are even selected Mm -hmm. and how much is done after they are selected and they actually get to see them fight and stuff because they choose what goes into the games what weapons they choose as we'll see not a big spoiler but like they sometimes make certain things happen in the environment yeah i just i i was wondering about the variety you could maybe have within the game makers themselves of yeah a lot of them were drunk and completely ignoring katniss but some were you know kind of nodding once she did some really impressive things so yeah just kind of different level of responsibility some of them seem to feel as well as if their only perspective is how do we make this most entertaining or if any of them do oh look that person seems really nice or seems really scared and they're good at this thing maybe we'll throw in that axe Mm. or or whatever it is you know is there any compassion that could be involved in them choosing what weapons i mean it's a very would be a very low level compassion since they're still working for the games which are killing children for entertainment but within that level of terrible is there a a sliding scale <laughs> yeah yeah i like your your phrasing of it as like the diversity among the game makers because especially when we hear about them feasting and drinking there seems to be very much a social component of that and so i wonder how much of it is like yeah if there's 20 game makers are 15 of them or are 12 of them people who just bought their way in because it's a place where they can hang out with their other rich friends and have Mm. social status involved and have everything catered and it's just like a party they do every every year and they have some basic engagement with how this is running but it's really those creatives who are in charge and focus on the entertainment that are doing the majority of the work in putting the games together or did they really have a choice to be there or not Mm. are they given aptitude tests like kids in the capital And they put them on certain tracks to build certain skills that they just have. And... It seemed like as doing a public good. Exactly. Like, this is the path that you can do. Or maybe done in a more manipulative way. Like, oh, only this university and this program accepted your application. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder. Yeah. What about you? What is your wonderment? I'm I'm really wondering about Rue because, for one, what did she do to get a seven? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that I think is is very interesting. But also, it makes me think about how little we know of the majority of the tributes. Because sure, the careers we know have been trained since they were young, but Rue is really good with a slingshot. Where did she? get a slingshot why did she have that skill so refined and why she's such an expert at it and it's making me think ahead to okay as we actually enter the games and we start seeing other characters in particular who are not careers who have specific skills where might they have gotten those skills what was their life like that allowed them to build that up for Katniss it's very obvious she 
had to hunt to survive. For PETA, we see that he's creative because he was doing the icing on the cakes. And, you know, I'm sure there's a chicken the egg kind of element there of whether he was given that task because he was good at it or whether he became good at that task because he was given it. Totally. But, you know, we have that. We have the fact that, yeah, he, he's wrestling. Him and his brother both seem to be good at that probably because, yeah, they're looking around heavy sacks of flour and that's going to impact that. But for these other characters that we spend much less time with, yeah, where are those skills, those those abilities coming from? Uh, what those ex- what experiences might have brought them about in them? Um, that's I think just something I'll be keeping in mind as we go through, and and certainly I'm wondering about Rue right now. Hmm. Another quick thing I was wondering about is the careers as a nickname, mm. and if every district has their own name for that, mm. because it's not like people get to talk to people from other districts yeah that's so true so that would just be fascinating to hear what other districts would call them and what they call themselves mm. yeah the victors <laughs> <laughs> well i think we'll, we'll head into our last section this is what we call our intentions things that we intend to think about or do moving forward after reflecting on these chapters so what is your intention I think my intention is just where do I need to be more boldly defiant? Mm. Because we see Katniss being so boldly defiant. And there's so much wrong in the world, in our country, definitely. So yeah, where, where should I be a little more like Katniss? It's so funny for me to hear because you're already so much more like Katniss than I am. It's true. That <laughs> it's uh, something I admire about you a lot, <laughs> uh, how, how bold you are compared to someone as meek as I am. Um, <laughs> so that that's uh, good for you. Still wanting to shoot higher. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What's your intention? Mine is based off of that conversation between Katniss and Peeta about their skills when Katniss starts just being sure that Peeta is trying to insult her mm. by saying that, you know, people like her essentially and, and are want to help her. And I can also uh, sometimes just assume that people are saying bad things about me. It's not out of like pride like it is for Katniss or even strategy in regards to her caution with her relationship with PETA, for me, it's just out of insecurity. Mm. Where it's like, this must be because they're frustrated with me or annoyed with me or, you know, How can I reposition this comment as an insult towards me? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so even though I'm coming at it from a different perspective, I think that I am going to challenge myself to, yeah, give people the benefit of the doubt that their comments are positive and that people mean well, essentially, with their comments. Mm. not to look for those negative aspects yeah definitely okay well i think that's gonna do it for this week what's happening next time on the hunger games so next week we are going to read chapters nine and ten where we see katniss trying to have as much charm as a dead slug okay well thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode Find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. You can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast and get access to all sorts of extra content, including book club content, while we're going through the Hunger Games. 
It also really helps us, especially as we're launching this new format, if you tell a friend about us or leave us a review online. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.